0: In a few minutes we're going to read a wonderful story of someone I must confess I kind of identify with. It's the story of Zacchaeus. oh sorry Zachariah, (laughs) wrong guy, (laughs) same Zed, different person. And um, just a little bit of the background to this man, he has been faithful to God for a long, long time, he's a priest at the temple, he served as part of his role there for many, many years. And he has done his utmost best to live for God. And yet, when the angel comes to him and actually answers a prayer in his heart that perhaps he hadn't prayed out of disappointment for a long, long time, he doesn't have the initial capacity to believe. He doesn't have in his heart the right environment To receive that which God has promised him. And I want to suggest to you that churches are full of people like this. Start out with great passion and vitality, believing God for all kinds of great things. Do you remember your early days of faith? You actually did believe back then, mountains moved. You prayed for people, you had no knowledge of how or what to say or how to do that, and you believed sincerely that those prayers would make a difference. Maybe some did and maybe some didn't. I think the church in the West is full of people like this, who for whatever reasons life has got the better of, and they're not living with a heart that's full or ready or available or indeed passionate anymore. And there's a reason for that. Life is hard. You see, when you're young in the faith and you come to know God, I was 24 when I became a Christian. I thought at 24 I knew everything about life. And then I got married. And I realized I knew nothing about life. And whatever anyone tells you about the joys of marriage, it's a slow death <laughs> over many, many years. You die to yourself on an hourly basis. That's, that's what marriage really is. In fact, if both parties do that well, then they make loads of room and space for God to move beautifully and powerfully In their lives, I can't tell you the amount of counseling I've given people where one or the other were fighting with each other for prominence or for power. You see, there is only one Lord, only one God. And when we both yield and submit to His Lordship, we can submit to each other. And marriage becomes the sweet place that God intended it to be. But it is a slow and steady and consistent denying of self, For the benefit of someone else. And you can always tell how you're doing in that. When it comes to anniversaries and celebrations. Because men are a little bit neglectful of dying to themselves. Sorry guys, I'm talking on your behalf. And then out of guilt, they buy something extravagant for an anniversary. Like that's going to make up for the last year of neglect. And worse still, sometimes you have to be reminded it's your anniversary. God bless you. I think you should put that into your phone and keep it as a consistent alarm that wakes you up about three days before. But it's not just marriage. You know, I think being a Christian sometimes is hard. Not only are you living this life that you can't tangibly put your hands on and say it works like this, this and this. It's all a mystery in many senses. And we're walking with Jesus with great uncertainty at times about how to live for him. And thank God for His Word because His Word roots everything. It reveals to us His heart, but it also opens up His plan. And so His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But that does not mean, however, that we're as joyous now as we were at the beginning. It does not mean that we're so full of hope at this stage like we were at the beginning. It does not mean that we're walking with the reality of his peace right now like we were at the beginning. The night I got saved, the presence of God came into my car and I can honestly tell you, having taken all kinds of substances over the years to try and find life, nothing, nothing touched me like the presence of God. It was my baptism into relationship with him. God chose to allow me to experience such mercy, such grace, such love, such purity, such holiness, such goodness. And you know, that was an invitation to live in those realities. But how many of us know that living in those realities, hope, love, peace, joyfulness, that's a battle? And some days you'll be okay, and other days it'll be a struggle. But Jesus lived from that consistent place. And you know, when he says in John 10:10, 10, 10, I have come that you should have life and life and all his fullness. He's talking about living in the reality that God is supreme, that God is powerful, that God is life, that God is love, that God is hope, that God is joy. And for many of us in this room, we have visited that, we've had occasions like that, we've had moments where the Spirit has moved like that, but that's not our consistent and our persistent reality. Is anybody listening to me? Can you hear that? Can you hear that truth about your heart and your life? And that obviously creates all kinds of difficulties because we're actually supposed to view the world from that place. So when you think of the fullness that's available to us in Christ as a result of our sins being forgiven, we've been brought home to the reality of the one who was perfect in all his ways. And we're meant to live from that place. We're meant to live from the God of hope. We're meant to live out of hope into the world in which he's placed us. And if I don't have hope in my heart, here's my problem. I'll see the world very differently than God sees it. I might even fall into the trap of judging it. Does that happen to you? If love isn't my abiding reality and it's an inconsistent invitation over my life to experience that, that I won't be able to love anyone, not even myself, and that's the truth. I will try and be nice and try and be good, but it's not genuine. It doesn't come from the place and the space I was created to come from. You see, love has to be real, has to be experienced. It's more than words. It's far more than a spiritual concept. It's the reality of who God is. And if I'm living in Him and He's living in me as He wants to, I will love like Jesus loves. Have you had moments like that? They're a bit rare though, aren't they? Tell the truth. High days and holidays. They come and they go. But God's intentionality is that you would live consistently from that place of love. That you would know that you love that you loved. And you would be able to love as he loves others. In fact, the early church, people remarked about them, not because of the buildings or meetings or anything. They said, we know that they are the disciples of Jesus. And what was the way they recognized that? There was something unique, profound, and wonderful about the way that they loved each other. You see, I'll be honest with you. If you can't love people here, please don't pretend to me that you're loving people out there. So this wonderful man, faithfully serving God, doing all the right things in all the right ways, but carrying disappointment in his heart because he had wanted a child, he and his wife wanted a child, and that had never come to pass. Some friends of mine, their ministers, they had At the time in their life when they were trying for children, they had someone breeze into a church and breeze out as quickly as they came. And this person made them stand up and they prophesied over this couple, young couple in ministry, that they would have a child. The person who was the guest speaker had no knowledge of that story or the lives. They held on and held on and held on to that promise for years. Until, of course, time took its toil. And the woman was unable to conceive. Now, can you imagine the disappointment that lives in the soul of those individuals? That is a profoundly powerful thing. And I know in this room, because I've been around a while, I know that there are people that are carrying, maybe not that story, but similar stories, You didn't get the husband you wanted, or you can't get the job you hoped for, or you've worked really hard to get the education you thought would change things, or you haven't found someone who really you can be vulnerable or transparent with. Whatever it is that you've been longing for, whatever thing you've been hoping for, now what's happened is your heart maybe doesn't expect that anymore. And here's what we do when we don't live from hope and expectation. We live with fear because those are the only alternatives we have. Fear, not in the sense that we're shaking, but fear in the sense that we've missed it, fear in the sense that it'll never come to pass. And so when people like me stand up and say, believe God for a miracle, believe God for a breakthrough. When I said earlier, 2024 is the year of the open door, you might have said amen with your mouth, but your heart said something different. And you might have thought, well, here we go again. Another revival story. Another breakthrough story. I don't know how much more of that I can live through Jesus. And you see, earlier on, we also had this word, do not grow weary in doing good. The problem is, some of us are so religious, we don't stop doing good, but we have grown weary. Our hearts have become tired and jaded and sadly, sometimes even cynical. And so... God speaks, and He speaks to us as we are, not the pretend us that we display to the world, but us as we are. And in this great story, we're going to read a man who had similar realities, but how God touched him and changed him and transformed him. And uh, let's do that together, please. We're going to go from verse 56 sorry, 57, of Luke chapter one. Now Elizabeth, full time, that's her pregnancy, the miracle has happened, had come for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. Now if we were these people, Elizabeth and Zachariah, that little statement in and of itself is mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. It's not our lives. I don't think we can identify with it. But if it was you and you had waited and waited and waited and served and served and served, and God had promised but nothing seemed to come to pass, and then all of a sudden the angel of the Lord speaks to you, and you're guessing and you're working out and you're fathoming and you're being cynical and critical about all of that stuff, and then suddenly your wife is pregnant, and suddenly after nine months, which is usually the term of pregnancy, this little boy is born, would you not be rejoicing? Would you not be celebrating? When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced. So this is a celebration that's now starting to spill out into their community. Verse 59, and so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, which was a custom in Jewish culture, and they would have called him by his father's name. Zacharias. Now, this is a standard practice for a firstborn son. My father was called Simon Foster, and my grandfather was called Simon Foster, and we weren't even Jewish. <laughs> and a name in Jewish culture really means something. So, to pass on your name with the promises attached to that name was fundamental to being a good parent and, and doing that job right. But obviously, something is about to happen, and uh, it's going to be interesting. His mother answered and said, when they came to this moment, No, he should be called John. Now, here's what's happening in the background. When Zacharias, when he had the visit from the angel, because his heart was cynical and jaded and not open to what God has said, God struck him dumb. Now, think about this this is your job. You do this for a living. You talk to people, you preach, you teach. You know, I wonder how that worked for him over that nine-month period. I wonder whether or not people thought it was some kind of curse on his life as a result of something that was hidden or maybe hidden sin in his heart. But he once was a great orator, a great speaker, a very profound individual as far as communication is concerned. And for nine months, he has not been able to speak. And so we pick up the story again and see some more of the wonderful things that happen here. His... Wife, Sarah, she begins to say, No, it's not Zacchaeus as you presume. We shall call him John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who was called by this name. So they made signs to his father. What would you have him called? Now remember, Zacchaeus can't, Zacharias can't uh, speak. I don't know what's wrong with me today. So he asks for a tablet, verse 63, and he writes down the name. He said, No, His name is to be called John. And so they all marveled. Now, you didn't marvel, but they marveled. Because this is so unusual in Jewish culture. To name your child something that doesn't exist in the family line is just bizarre. But I want to tell you something. The the name John, that's a question we should be thinking. What does the name John actually mean? And the name John, this is what God has asked them to call their son, means the Lord is gracious. So in the naming of their son, they're declaring out of the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God that has now profoundly become a reality in the midst of their disappointment, they're declaring over this child by naming him John, the Lord has been gracious to us. I want to say to somebody in this room today, God is about to show you how gracious he really is. You, no matter what state your heart or life is in, or how cynical you've become, or hard of heart you've become, God is going to give you a blessing, and you're going to say, surely the Lord is gracious. It's coming, church, it's here, in fact, and I'm believing that you will see more and more of that as we go through the text. So he wrote down, saying, his name should be John, and they all marvel. Immediately, as he did this, that which had been stopped in him, which was his voice, came back, and his tongue was loosened, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was on him. A cynical man, a jaded heart, a religious practitioner, an expert in his field, found himself lacking when the God that he declared and preached about and worshiped turned up as an angel in his life to say, now, now, now. Church, 2024 is the year of the open door, okay? You can amen all you like with your mouth. The platform and the space by which that open door becomes available and accessible is not through your tongue, it's your heart. And if you're living with disappointment and disillusionment, if you've given up hope, sadly, even if your heart has been hurt, which has turned into hardness, which has now even grown into hostility, when God speaks to you about 2024, You, like Zacharias, will not be able to receive that which the Lord has given you. You may have wanted it, you may have prayed for it, you may have believed for it for a while, but your heart is the place where the word of God needs to fall. And if it doesn't fall into good soil, no matter how many prophecies, no matter how many declarations that people make, no matter how many visitations that you have from God, you and I need to be ready in 2024. Our hearts need to be ready to receive the blessing we have so long waited for so hoped for, prayed for, fasted for. We need to be ready. And the soil of your heart is so important as you cross from this year into the next year because it's the very place where God will begin to minister. My prayer over my life is get me ready, God, for all that you want to do. So if 2024 is the year of the open door, And my heart has been accustomed to all that has taken place in it. And I am jaded and tired and cynical and and whatever it is that's going on in my life. I need something. I need help. And that's exactly what he got. Touched by the Holy Spirit, it says. Touched by the Holy Spirit. Church, you don't need another counseling session. You need to be touched by the Holy Spirit. Touched by the Holy Spirit, he begins to worship. Touched by the Holy Spirit, vitality comes back. Touched by the Holy Spirit, hope becomes restored. Touched by the Holy Spirit, faith comes to the forefront. Touched by the Holy Spirit, he's awakened to the presence, the power and the glory of God. Who did that? Zechariah, oh God. When God speaks, there are two things necessary, his word and his breath. If you go back to the book of Genesis, in the beginning, all that was available in the formlessness and chaos of what existed in our world was the presence of God. It says that the spirit hovered over the chaos and then God spoke. You see, sometimes we have a word, but we do not have the breath of the spirit to attain it or to accomplish it. Sometimes we have the breath of the spirit, but we don't have the word, the promise of God that tells us that this will be your new reality. As we step over the threshold from 2023 to 2024, let his word be quickened in our hearts by his spirit. My prayer is that we'd have a fresh touch of God as we step out of this year into the next. You can't live on old blessings forever. Give us this day our daily bread. So what you need, what I need, what we need, those of us who've been practicing this for a long time, it's not another sermon. We need to encounter the king of glory. My prayer for you this Christmas is that will be your reality. My prayer for you that somehow, in some way, God would orchestrate a moment where he can pour out his spirit afresh, upon your life. I pray that you get renewal and restoration. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm even praying that some of us will get revival, that God would breathe on us afresh, that we would become awakened to the word. Our hearts would be made ready to see all that God has done. And you see, just one touch, just tiny little touch from God changes everything. I've noticed that, it's the way he brings transformation. I try so hard to be a good person, I know it probably doesn't look like that, but I do. I try to do what's right, I try to be as good as I can, keep my heart in check, all of that is just human effort. Now it's not wrong to try and be better than you used to be, that's good. In fact, there should be some evidence of that in all our lives, but unless he goes, Unless he breathes, unless I experience him, unless something supernatural takes place and my heart is awakened, all I've got is what Zachariah's got. A dead, jaded, cynical, unhopeful reality. You need him. You need him. The spirit of God. Now there's people in this room. And they say I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1974. And I'm really pleased that that happened to you. But did anyone tell you it's nearly 2024? (laughs) Somebody mentioned that to you? Oh pastor I spoke in tongues. Way back in the 80s when charismatic renewal came. Well I'm really really excited for you. But you know, this is the day the Lord has made, and because he is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever, why live on a memory when you can have a fresh reality of his spirit at work in your life? Oh, I once prophesied, you know, I was out on the streets and God spoke to me and I said this to this person and they did that, and oh, I remember it well. In fact, I've got it in my Bible. I go back to it time and time again. Oh, why, why, why? When today, in the house of the Lord, You can receive something fresh, something beautiful, something powerful. You can be restored. You can be renewed. You can be set free. Set free from what, Pastor? Dullness. A dead religion. Going through the motions of something. Routine. Ritual. You can be set free from you, your misery. Because nobody has the guts to tell you, but you've got a face like a wet weekend in Scarborough. Have you ever been to Scarborough in the winter? It's a bit like this morning with the rain. You see, it's God's intention, his kind intention, that you live in his fullness. Someone say amen to that. And every aspect of his nature wants that to be your reality. Have got any Zach- Zacharias in the house today? I think we might have a few. <laughs> well, he gets touched by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what happens when he gets touched by the Holy Spirit. Verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, say this out loud for me, will you please? Was. Hallelujah. <laughs> and prophesied. Do you know, there's something amazing when God touches someone's heart. It's so profound that a song turns into a declaration. When God touches a heart with something fresh, you move away from just worship into a place of worship, where you begin to declare a new reality is going to come to pass. If if I could... Do a worship kind of seminar with you. There, there are various ways in which God moves. You cannot and will not have breakthrough unless you have praise. Hello. Praise brings breakthrough. Say that out loud for me. Now you don't. You don't mean it. Praise brings breakthrough, trust me, I've been a worship pastor every which way for years. Praise brings breakthrough. This morning when we were praising, and it's a long time sometimes we are praising, sometimes we're lamenting and some days we're not praising. Something happens that attracts the power and the presence of God. Because praise is the one thing he inhabits. And when he comes, he comes with all that he is, all of his power, all of his authority. So if you want breakthrough, you praise. If you want to sustain your breakthrough, you worship. Because praise will take you to the next level and worship will keep you there. Until of course God lifts you higher again and then you praise again. Some people are praying for a breakthrough and you need to praise yourself into a breakthrough. And when you praise, it's very hard to praise and be miserable. So you get some upgrades, you get joy. Some of you could do with three shed loads of joy. You get joy because praise is living beyond yourself in the reality of the one who has power and authority over all things and your hopelessness moves to this place of expectation. And when you move to this place of expectation, you praise even more and you thank God for his greatness. I said to you last week, we've become very introspective as Christians. We sing songs about ourselves, but we're supposed to praise and declare the greatness, the majesty, the glory, and the power of our God. And no matter how downcast your soul is, when you come into that place of praising God, something breaks, something gives, something moves, and God begins to awaken your heart to Him. But you can't sustain that new level by praise, because it has to move from authority to intimacy. And it moves from authority to intimacy, which is knowing God in this new level through worship. And worship will keep you in that place of of wonder, and majesty, and the glories of God. But beyond that, there's another place. And it's a place where we start to see from an eternal perspective. We've been praising, we were worshiping, and now we are prophesying. Because here's what happens in this process. you Remember that heart I talked about that was hard? It's hard only until the oil of the presence comes and breaks up the ground. And when the oil of the present comes and breaks up the ground, it starts to dream again. It starts to hope again. It starts to love again. It starts to... Shall I keep going till you wake up? Zachariah is so like me and I'm so like him. Didn't start out that way, but so easily it falls into that kind of rhythm, familiarity, routine. I come to church sometimes because I have to. Don't you? I'd love to tell you that I come every Sunday because I want to. But sometimes I come because I have to. I'm just keeping it real for you. Okay, is that okay? And I know you do the same. And even if you don't want to, you make yourself come. What is that? Religion. Or oh, you can call it duty. You can call it responsibility, but it's religion. If I am attending the house of the Lord, actually I am the house of the Lord, but if I'm coming to an environment like this and my heart is not open to what God wants to do, I will come in and I will go out and nothing will change. And that's the reality, Doesn't matter how good the preaching is, and it's been blindingly fabulous at times here. I have to say it myself because none of you say it. Okay no matter how fantastic the worship is i mean they could be the most anointed people they could cause you know a fig tree to wither under their anointing but if your heart is hard if you've become cynical and jaded what you really need is the breath of god you just need him to breathe on you you just need a touch You just need to be reminded of some things. And the minute he touches you, come on, stay awake. The minute he touches you, something miraculous happens. Things get restored that seem like they're an ancient memory. Do you remember hope? Do you remember hope where you had so much hope, so much expectation, like that. It comes alive in your heart. Because in his presence, There is fullness of joy. Not only do you get hope, you get joy. Now, I've been in lots of meetings. And there's been times and seasons when the joy of the Lord has been so present. I went to a a season where people used to laugh in the Holy Spirit. God bless us. Amen. (laughs) I mean, people would get up to speak and they would laugh in the Holy Spirit. I remember times when people would dance. Sorry about that. (laughs) We would dance under the anointing of God. In this church, people would dance unashamed, unreserved, without any consideration for those, how dare they? They would just be so full of the joy of the Lord. They would have to dance. When is the last time you had to dance? You just couldn't contain what God was doing, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's a symptom, that's a sign to us that we've grown so accustomed to some things and we need what, what do we need? Another sermon, what do we need? A touch from God, do you need a touch from God church? Yes. We need a touch from God. I remember Paul and Kate, when they first came to our church in Bristol, you know, they, he, he does stick out from the crowd, doesn't he? He's about nine foot tall. <laughs> He's the best, first cousin of Goliath. And um, he used to stick out in the crowd because we, like this church, many people were from other parts of the world. There weren't many white people in that church and uh, we just loved that great tapestry of the wonderful way in which God was working. And and Kate and Paul were one of the fewer white people that were in that church. And so, you know, not only are they white, but they're very white. (laughs) And with his white hair. And uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon him, a very unassuming man, Very polite, very respectable. All of the things, if you know Paul, are true. Very kind, very generous, wonderful couple. And then... Now, I'm not gonna ask you to do it, Paul, because it would be fake. But you do know white men can't dance, don't you? (laughs) But that didn't stop him. And he used to have this conga that ran around the room like this. All the old ladies behind him. (laughs) And if it really got kind of seriously joyous. (laughs) When there's joy in the house of the Lord, people are free. And no sermon can do that. What does that? You need a touch from God. And there are symptoms, you know, if you look around, you can see them. I don't do that anymore. I don't act like that anymore. I'm not expectant anymore. I don't have that level of faith. I don't have that level of compassion. I'm not so hope-filled like I used to be. I'm not so naive, pastor. You were naive, you were childlike. And what caused that? He touched you. He touched you. And you began to praise. You began to worship. I guarantee you that the place beyond that is proclamation and declaration. And you know what we really need now is God to speak. Not the pastor. Not the worship team. We need to hear him speak. There is so much we need to know, so many things we don't recognize or realize. But you see, if I think I can find this in another way, I will. But there's only one way that I know, and I think it's clear from this, there's only one way that God seems to move like this, and that is he breathes new life. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to prophesy. Oh God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Amen. And look what he prophesies. Verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Why don't you read that out loud with me please. We're going to finish it. one. Blessed. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has and he has now remember... Not too long before this he would have said the words but he would not have known them in his heart. And so filled with the spirit he begins to speak and declare. And he speaks a blessing over God. See real praise, real proclamation is simply that I've come here to bless the Lord. And in our consumer world, where we all think we need to get something out of something, we don't come with that clarity. Praise is not about you. Praise is about the king of glory. And without the breath of God on your life, you will make it all about you. You need to be touched by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will cause your life to explode when you start to contemplate and consider how great God is. And he uses some phraseology here that speaks of the faithfulness of God. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. In other words, I have now woken up to this great truth that God all through the generations has been faithful. I have now come to realize that i have forgotten or forsaken this wonderful truth that my God is for me, my God is with me, I am giving him praise Because everlasting to everlasting, He has remained consistent in His love and His affection for me and His people. And His soul rises up in a moment. Oh God, let our souls rise up in a moment when the Spirit touches us. Look what it says underneath the second part of verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who is faithful to his promises in fulfilling all that he has spoken. This is a man who was cynical but a few months or moments even before this. And now God has awakened his heart to life. And look what he says now. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Church. Church. When I experience the breath of God, I'm not speaking to a God who's far off, and I'm not speaking to a God who's been in my past. I am conscious of his presence now. And I want to tell you that his presence is here. His presence is right here, right where you are, right in all that you're going through, right in all that you're experiencing. His presence is here. He doesn't say, you know, blessed is the one who will come. He says, blessed is he who has come. His presence is here, He is here. The God of power is here. The God of love is here, the God of mercy is here. The God of glory is here, He's here. He's here for you, He's come for you. The God who works miracles is here. The God of the breakthrough is here. The God who repairs the years the locusts have eaten is right here, Nikki. He's right here with us as we gather in His name right in the middle of us He's dwelling, He is right here. The God of the impossible has made himself available to you and to me and he's here. He's here with you. He's not just here with you, he's here for you. Look what it says here. For he has visited. Look what he does when he visits. And redeemed his people. So he is come with intent And what is that intent? To redeem. Now that sounds like a fancy theological word but let me tell you what kinds of things I think God wants to redeem for you. Peace. Do you remember those times in days gone by when the circumstances of your life were far worse? You had far less than you have now but you just had this overwhelming sense. He's here. Do you remember those times? I've stood in many moments when my life wasn't all that it could have been. No security in anything, all taken away, all gone. I lost most of it myself. No money to pay the bills, no understanding about how I got where I got. But you know what? In spite of the critics around me, I had peace. I had peace that surpassed all understanding. It was illogical. Are you not worried? No. I met with someone on Friday, an old friend of mine. He said to me, you don't seem to worry much about things. I said, no, I'm not a worrier really. And he was talking about finances. And he said, you know, I, I just wonder how, how, how anyone could live without being concerned about finances. I said, well, I think Jesus probably is the only answer to that. When you have Jesus rightfully where he wants to be, his lordship, his governance, his authority dwelling over your heart and life, doesn't matter whether you have much or little because you've got contentment and that that contentment is a necessary prerequisite to you experiencing the open door fully in 2024 he is here and he's come to redeem have you lost your peace have you lost your peace is your peace a distant memory a fable or a fairy tale from years gone by well today the prince of peace is here And he's made himself available to flood your soul with light and peace. Someone say amen to that. If you came in without that reality, you don't have to go home without it. Because he is here. He has come amongst us. He is here. The God of Israel, the God of CLC is here. And he's come to redeem your peace. He's also come to redeem your joy, your miseries. Now, you know, joy is a strange thing. We don't talk about it much in church because we don't really understand what joy does, but joy has a supernatural capacity to cause you to be untouchable by the enemy. It's like a spiritual Teflon. Is anybody old enough to remember Teflon? Non-stick. You know those pans you put things in and they don't stick? I think that's a lie because they always stuck whenever I cook things on them. (laughs) a little bit of oil and they don't stick. Do you know, you can create a shield over your life through joy. Joy is impenetrable by the enemy because he cannot stand that you are rejoicing in the goodness of God. The interesting thing where joy is concerned is it's the first announcement that the angels give to the shepherds. Joy and mega joy. Why do we need joy? Because God is joyous. And without knowing him in that way and experiencing him that way, I will view the world differently. I will not see things clearly. Joy reconditions my sight to see the goodness of God and the hope he has for people. Joy causes my mind to come into alignment with the truth that I declare. Because joy awakens me to that truth and it keeps me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In other words, it has a supernatural capacity. What did he come to redeem? What is he here to redeem? What does he come here today to redeem? Joy. In all the busyness, I know you're crazy busy. In all the doing, and all the parties and everything, we do not want to miss the invitation to experience His joy. Amen? Amen? You can have joy that's unstoppable. You can have joy that's unquenchable. You can have a stronghold of joy in your heart that no matter what the world throws at you, your simple response was, Hallelujah! Jesus is Lord of my life, glory to God! Take what you want, leave what you don't want, but I'm gonna keep praising him because I'd rather have his presence and his fullness than all the trappings that the world has given me. I worry about my car and my mortgage, but I should worry about the fact that I don't have joy in my soul because I need joy to see God the way God wants to be seen. I need to see the world as God wants me to see it. And without joy, I'll have a stigmatization in the spirit realm and I will only see problems, not promises. What about hope? The Bible says that we have a hope that is steadfast and sure. If it's steadfast, why isn't your hope steadfast? If it's sure and certain, why isn't your hope certain? He's come to redeem your joy, your peace, your hope, your love. He's here right now. To take the ground of your heart back that's been given over to anxiety and worry and judgments and fears. And he's come to redeem. He wants you back. He wants all of you. All of you. He's put up with some of you for a long time. And you know what? You can have all of him. We have this weird notion sometimes. That we're not good enough for God. And we say, God, less of me and more of you. And it sounds really spiritual, but it's not actually theologically true. You see, if God didn't want all of you, why did he come in and live in all of you? He wants all of you. I mean, I know there's bits. There's always bits, isn't there? You wouldn't want the world to see. But he wants all of you. He chose you from the foundations of the world. Here's the right way to interpret that scripture. Lord, all of you in all of me. That's what I want. All of you. And if I've got stuff in my life that's hindering God from moving, I need to allow him to move. Because unless he does that, I'll just sit in a seat and go through the motions, sing the songs, mouthing them. Like Mr. Bean. And it won't be real. This Christmas, he has come to redeem and you may be like Zechariah, old and cold but one breath from heaven will open and loosen your mouth to praise him to worship him and to prophesy the future he has for you stand with me please I don't have fancy words, God, and I can't persuade you to do anything, so I won't pretend I can. There's no magic sentence or profound thing that will come out of my lips, but I do know this. It's so easy for me not to realize that I've turned into a Zachariah. In fact, I'm usually the last person to know, because people wouldn't say those things. And where my heart once burned with love and joy and peace and delight in you, Lord God, now it's just empty. Life has taken its toil. Dreams haven't come to pass, promises yet to be fulfilled. And I'm here and I do what I do because I know it's the right thing to do, not because I have any great sense of your presence or power, in my life, but because by faith I do what is necessary with the hope that you would come one more time and touch my soul. Come and refresh me, God. This Christmas, the best thing that could happen to all of us is we have a visitation from you. The one thing that will break The power of all things is that we have a visitation from you. The pain, the suffering, the disappointment, the anxiety will in a moment be transformed with one word from you. I want to behold you, God, this Christmas. And not just because it's Christmas, because you're not just for Christmas, Jesus, you're for life. And I want to behold you, God, and keep beholding you until your dream for my life, which is fullness, pressed down, shaken up and overflowing, peace like a river, joy like a fountain, love everlasting will become my reality, not just the words I speak or the songs I sing, but my life, my life. And so... Here I am, God, with all my Zachariah problems. And here you are, God, with all the blessings and the beauty and the majesty that any human heart could ever experience. And all that you want from me is to admit my need for you, to recognize that my heart needs a fresh touch from heaven. And so come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Breath of heaven, breathe on me, I pray. Restore, renew, reestablish for yourself a place where you can abide here on earth, my body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I choose as I leave 2023, and it's not been the easiest of years for many people, I choose to let go because I know that if I carry those things into the future, they will continue to play havoc with my experience of you. And Lord, I don't want that to be the case. You know, I said earlier, church, that 2024 is the year of the open door. A number of you said amen. I believe that with all my heart, that that's what God gave me to tell you as we step out of this year into the next. But I want to tell you something else because it's important. You can't open that door from the inside. God will open it from the outside. He will come and open that door into the blessing, into the freedom, into the liberty, into the joy, into the peace that sometimes for many of us feels like a distant memory. It's fresh. He's pouring out his spirit afresh over all the earth. And I wanna ask you to ask him to open the door. Don't think by religious practices, because Zachariah did them all, that he could open that door. Let God be God. Let him open the door to the future, the destiny, the blessing that he has for you in 2024. And I just decree that over your life. The invitation is there. 2024 will be the year of the open door. Now maybe we should thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we just love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as we leave here, and we do leave here, with all the busyness of this Christmas time and all the things going on in our hearts, all the weights we carry, all the responsibilities we have, all the things that need attention, I pray, Lord, that you, the bread of heaven, will come down and we will taste and see that the Lord is good. Be around every table we sit at. Be at every party we go to. Lord, be in every conversation we have. And when we're on our own, God, be our best friend and minister to us. And the only way that is possible for us to know that is by experiencing your presence. Come, Lord Jesus, the horn of salvation, come, and declare a new season over our hearts, over our minds, and our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.